This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited to continue our walk through the book of Genesis. Uh, if you um, uh, have been with us, you know that today, and you can go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 30. So uh, we, we have, I think, only one chapter did we do over two weeks. So we're 29 weeks into this baby, uh, and we've been doing this since January, so we're in our eighth month walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, this uh, Wednesday Bible study at its foundation is a men's Bible study, as I, as I tell you every week, but uh, we're walking through books of the Bible. Women are always uh, you know, more than welcome to join us, and, and many of you do, so we welcome you here as well. Inside the room, it is just men uh, that we've been here for eight years uh, doing this Bible study. Uh, in, in a couple of different places. We've only been at this location since January, but uh, this is the studio, these are the studios of the Rick and Bubba Show. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to the podcast archive, just FYI. Uh, but here's some things you need to know. Um, we have a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, this Bible study became part of that when we were working on it years ago. We launched it in, in 2020 uh, in the month of March. And the men's discipleship strategy is designed uh, for men to be studying the Word of God for 40 weeks out of the year. Uh, and then during that time, there, there's a number of gatherings where they get together for high challenge. Those are called man churches. And then they get into uh, one of our three curriculum. We have a fourth one that will be out next year. Uh, and then they walk through that. So that's the high equipping. So it's the combination of high challenge, high equipping, and a cycle that never ends year after year. And we are here from churches all over the country. We're at 520-something now. Uh, very excited. I saw we added one today before the Bible study started. So I love checking that as, as churches all over the country and even around the world in the Bahamas and Canada are doing the men's discipleship strategy, at least if they're not doing all of it, they're doing the curriculum. But here are some uh, some man churches that you could attend if you'd like to kind of kick the tires on it in a city near you. Uh, coming up this Friday night, August the 12th, Rich Wingo is in Henderson, Tennessee. Uh, he'll be there at Old Friendship Baptist Church. That is ticketed. You need to let them know if you're coming. Friday night, if you've never heard Rich Wingo, he is uh, my best friend. He's 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 the man that God uses to uh, keep me in line. He and my wife do a great job of, uh, of keeping me in line. Uh, and then uh, coming up on August the 20th, First Baptist Church in uh, Bolivar, Tennessee, Andrew Varvudis from Team Man Church. He will be there, and he'll be helping them get started as they kick off the men's discipleship strategy. Then coming up on the 21st, another church is kicking it off. They're kind of starting with the curriculum. Then I'm coming in for the first high challenge man church. That's LaGrange, Georgia. On August the 21st, um, if that is ticketed. If you want to get a ticket to that, you can at themanchurch.com. So August 21st, I'll be in LaGrange, Georgia. Indiana. Avon, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis. Mark Garnett will be at Harmony Baptist Church coming up on August 26th. They're in year two of the men's discipleship strategy, so uh, they're in their second curriculum, and Mark will be there for their next man church. Coming up on August 28th, First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa. They have stepped into the second year uh, of, the, of the curriculum. Rich Wingo will be there also. That's his home church. 
Uh, he's actually in charge of the men's ministry there. Uh, so he'll be there at First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, on August the 28th. If you want to look ahead, September the 7th, uh, Landmark Church, Montgomery, Alabama. They're continuing in their first year. Rich Wingo will be there. And September the 8th, I'll kick off the men's discipleship strategy, year one, at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Dothan, Alabama, if you want to make a note of that. Uh, and then I'll also uh, be via video. We have a, a video where you can actually get a kickoff package that if you I can't be there in the room, we offer a video option where I do the kickoff uh, service in Webster, Florida at First Baptist Church uh, on September the 11th. They said that's how we're going to do it. So I'll be there, but not physically in the room, but via video kicking that off. Also, Andy Blanks on the same day will be at Locust Fork Baptist in Locust Fort, Alabama, kicking off their uh, strategy. Now, there's more happening in the fall, but for our time today, that's all I'll hit for you. But you can find all of them by going to themanchurch.com, looking under events. If you haven't added our new app, the Strive app, that's another great resource for you to use as well. All sorts of resources available for you on the app. Try it for seven days. See if you like it. We've got uh, daily devotions that we update weekly and all sorts of archives of even this Bible study right here. Other uh, teachers, uh, when they're speaking and in sermons and you name it, we got it. Articles, all kinds of stuff involving uh, ways that we can grow as men of God. Okay, so there you go. So let's um, let's open up in a word of prayer. Those of you that are that are near Jerry, y'all get up and lay a hand on him. We're going to pray specifically for Jerry. He's got a big surgery uh, coming up this Friday, and uh, we want to pray that uh, that God gives him relief and that goes smoothly. Uh, and uh, Lord, thank you for our opportunity to open up your word today. Uh, we do take our brother uh, Jerry, who's just been so loyal to this Bible study, and has uh, has we have all benefited. Uh, from his wisdom and getting to know him. And, uh, Lord, I know he is uh, struggling right now with some chronic pain and some issues with balance. And I just pray that, Lord, that you enable these uh, these masterful surgeons that, that get their talents and gifts from you, their creator, whether they know it or not, uh, that they uh, perform uh, with the talent from you and they perform well and, and that they find a solution uh, to the issues that Jerry's facing now. I pray that that go well. And I know that he'll glorify you either way. May your will be done, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here in the room and, and prayer requests all over this room. And I pray you be with the men that are here and the men who are normally here that are out traveling or have work conflicts today. Be with them as well uh, as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's jump in to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 30. Now, Genesis chapter 30 I was looking, uh, trying to think, now what in the world do, do I title this? Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Uh, what we have here uh, is in the first 13 verses of chapter 30, I, I have just uh, looked at one of the, the things through some commentaries, and I thought this was the best uh, title for this, Four Sons by Two Handmaidens. So here we go. Uh, it, it, it's this generational stuff just keeps being passed along. Something we've talked about a lot in here, men uh, and, and, and ladies around the country. There comes a time where we as men, if we have generational sin in our families, that we need to take the responsibility to be the people that stop it. You know, to say, you know what, it ends with me. Uh, you know, my granddaddy didn't know how to act. My daddy didn't know how to act. Uh, but I know what God says. I've seen what it's caused them, and I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not. Is it true that we're influenced by the men in our life? Of course we are. We talk about that all the time. But they're not stronger than the Holy Spirit. 
And, and we have a perfect father who has laid out in his word exactly how we're supposed to do it. And I don't care who goes against the word of God, whether that's your daddy or your granddaddy or whatever that may be, we're going to adhere to the word of God. Not that we'll disrespect them, not that we're not going to be rude or ill to them, not that we're not going to forgive them. I'm not talking about that. You do need to forgive. Uh, you know, if there's been people in your life that have wronged you, don't hang on to that bitterness the rest of your life. All it's hurting is you. Uh, and and ne- as Jesus said, never deny forgiveness to to anyone else that I didn't deny you, uh, because I don't know about you, but Jesus really shouldn't have forgiven me, but He did, uh, and I'm thankful that He did. Uh, so generational sin, as you see, Jacob's going to make some of these same mistakes, uh, and man, it just causes confusion. Can I just let all of you know something? Some of you watching, young men, if your plan is to have multiple children by multiple women, you are going to create a chaotic atmosphere. It is chaos, okay? Women don't get along in general, and they certainly don't get along if, they, if they've had babies from you and uh, you've spread them out over various women. It, it, just, it, just, it's, it's, it ain't the way to go, okay? So learn that now. Uh, God's design was for there to be one woman and one man, and every time anyone in Scripture left that design, it really created a mess. Doesn't mean it can't, can't work in it. Doesn't mean it's not redeemable. But, man, is it a mess. Uh, there's a reason why God designed these things the way he did. He does know what he's doing. Okay? And, and so we're going to see some mistakes being made. The thing that I want you to take away from this, and I kept thinking, what am I taking away from this? Because some of this... You know, we're getting into it, and you're like, why are we going through this? What's the takeaway? Obviously, you see some things not to do. But one thing that I found at the heart of all this is that God is is reminding me once again, don't have the attitude when it involves, and this is going to be difficult, what I'm about to say, because we got ladies peeking in. Y'all just going to have to hear this, okay? And this is for your benefit too, by the way, okay? And it's it's difficult to do. I've been guilty of what I'm about to say. And I, I need to stop doing it, okay? When I'm in the right, not when I'm just trying to get my way, but when, when I'm in the right, my job as a spiritual leader is so many times we know that we need to say to our wives, we're not going to do that, but we just don't want to deal with the backlash. So we go along just to get along. Anybody been guilty of that? My hand's up, okay? And, and, but the problem with that is, is that's not really loving our wives. That's really loving ourselves because what we're saying is, I just don't want to hassle with this even though it's the wrong thing to do. And, and how, I mean, I don't, if you think of it, at first you think, well, I'm, I guess I'm kind of letting them do their thing, so isn't there something noble about that? No, not if it's wrong. There's nothing noble about that at all. And what that means is you don't care enough about them to correct the situation just so you can have a good day. So really it comes back to being selfish. Been guilty of it. This is not me talking – down to you, it's me, us all talking together because I've done it and, uh, and, and, and I need to stop doing it. If I think what my wife wants to do is the wrong thing for her, for our family, and it's against the way God would have us do it, we need to step up and say, I love you enough to say we're just not doing that. You know, and one of them would be if she decides she wants you to have a baby with somebody it works for. You don't want that. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so, and, and, and we've seen this go south already. I mean, has no one told Jacob about how this this went south? Hey, this now let me tell you, this already went south with your granddaddy. Okay, all right, so.
So here we go. So we know that when we left this last week, um, Laban had tricked Jacob into marrying not one of his daughters, but both of them. Okay. And, and Jacob was going to have Rachel so much so that he would just be married to two women. Now you can talk about, he got, you know, tricked and all that. And that is true. Laban will be held accountable for that. You'll see. But now he's got two women that he's married to, and he's got one that's producing son, not just children, but sons, which in this culture was a really big deal. And we got Rachel, who he actually loves, that, that's not. Okay? And, and, and that's causing a rift between the two women. Okay? No matter how many times a woman says, I don't mind sharing you with somebody else, they're always going to take that back. Okay? That's not the design, so it's never, it's never going to work out. So Rachel saw in, in chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Now, don't miss, this guy's not just married to two women. He's married to two sisters. Okay, Man, you talk about an uphill climb. Okay, so, so anyway, she says to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Give me children or I shall die. So let's talk about verse one, first of all. So Rachel envies Leah and Leah's ability to have children. But you know what I find interesting about Leah? There's no doubt that she yearned to be loved the way Rachel was. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so she certainly got some issues, and that's bothering her. But you don't find it interesting that you see Rachel. All we've really heard about Rachel right now is that she's attractive and that she was a hard worker as a shepherdess. You know, we didn't know that. But um, with Leah, you see that she her fertility is is envied by Rachel, but you really never see anywhere in Scripture that Leah says that Rachel's beauty is envied by her. Now, no doubt Leah wants, wants the love that Rachel clearly has, but you never really hear her talking about, I hate you because you're pretty. But, but Rachel absolutely doesn't like her because she's fertile, and she's cranking out sons, okay? So... She says to him, now I want you to think about it. Be real careful when we get desperate or we get angry about shouting things like Rachel shouts. Okay? Give me children or I shall die. Now, I, I hate to tell you chapters ahead, Rachel is going to die in childbirth. Benjamin. When Benjamin is born, it kills Rachel. So... So she will have she will die while having a child. So here she is saying, "Give me children, or I shall die." Now look at verse two. She Jacob said, now, "Now don't forget too what Jacob's about to say." In verse two, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, "Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the uh, of the womb? Is this on me?" Now, right here, see, this is, this, is a, this is a don't do. Instead of Jacob having empathy for his wife and her inability to have children and reassuring her that God said you're going to have a child, so you will. And I've learned from my daddy and from my granddaddy that if God says he's going to produce this child in your womb, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen on his timeline. No, what he does with her being frustrated, he just gets frustrated right back. Who you think I am, God? This ain't on me when you're going to have a child. I'm not the one who opens your womb. So, so if you're, you know what he's really saying? If you want to be mad, be mad at God. 
Don't be mad at me. As opposed to reminding her, as he should have have uh, as her husband, let's not forget the promises of God. Our family has been shown for generations that God is faithful and God comes through. You will have a child on God's time, but he doesn't. He just he just pops off in, in anger. Uh, and, and the thing that you keep seeing over and over again with Jacob, um, and, and now keep in mind, God still uses him. We don't ever forget that, but we, we still need to learn on how not to do things as much as we need to learn from these men how to do things. And, and, and this is a running theme you're going to see throughout this chapter is that Jacob's passive. We're, we're, we're not called to, to, to passivity, man. We're not called to arrogance. We're not called to pride. But and we're, we're to be humble. I think it's the thing that is most misunderstood, and it's, and it's, and it's hurting a generation of young men when, when God is being portrayed to them, when he came to us in human form through his son Jesus, that, that God is to be godly is to be weak. Passive. Now, is to be godly to be weak as far as selfishness? Yeah. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Are we to be de- or should we be under the authority of God? No question. Should it be death to our flesh? Yes. But I'm talking about being passive. I'm talking about that you don't you don't stand up as a strong man. You're not bold in reminding people who God is and defending God. Okay? And 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 a lot of times when you hear this discussion about that we are to be meek, too many times that's been misinterpreted is that we are to be run over easily. We, we're supposed to be passive. Now, the true definition in Scripture of meek is Jesus. And Jesus says even to Pilate, nobody takes my life from me. I'll lay it down. I'll raise it up again. You saw Jesus throughout his ministry showing us how to do everything correctly even to be meek, but what was it? It was strength under control. This word that we're using, meek, if you look at Scripture and, and, you, and you look at its original use, it's really a vision in, in, in the Greek. It's, an orig- it's an, a vision of, of a bridle on a war horse. Okay? That horse has all the power in the world, but he's bridled and it's released whenever who is in charge allows it, and he stays under control, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have strength. It just means his strength is under control. He, he is angry when he should be angry without sinning. He is, he, is, he is quiet when he should be quiet. He's not looking for a fight around every corner, but he's ready to fight if he needs to for the right things. And, and in this case, you have the, the opposite. You just have Jacob just saying, I don't want to... Uh, you blame God, not me, uh, and then you're going to see Rachel try to work a plan that, that is wrong. He goes along with it, and here we go, okay? So we get into verse 3. Here comes the lack of faith right out of the gate. Then she said, here is my servant, Billa. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. This was very common in the culture. You know, our pastor had to tell us last Sunday, when you're going through biblical history, you're gonna to have to get your get get your mind in the right place. You know this 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 was very common in this culture. If you had servants, 
like all the daughters were given a a maid uh, a, a maid servant a handmaid and and she worked with her and took care of her now she she wasn't she wasn't treated like you know um someone who who you know was thrown out and didn't have food and didn't have shelter and didn't have all that but but it was very common that if these women could not have children that these uh handmaids you know would have children with the the woman's husband but that child would belong to the wife it would not belong to the servant so this is very common uh but uh, but it doesn't mean it's right because god didn't say he was going to give jacob a son through uh, a maid servant he didn't say that uh but this is rachel's plan so right here jacob should have said right here okay he should have told her that's not the plan god said your womb will produce a child we're not doing this this has been done throughout my family. It's not going to be done by me. I'm a generation. I'm going to break that generation of sin. We're not doing that. Because what he does to go along with it, it shows that he's probably carnal, shows that he's passive, and it shows that he lacks faith. Uh, and what he should have said, and I love this, and I think this one, this came come out of Ferguson who said this. I can't remember which, which commentary said this, but it was really good. It says, God's work always demands patience. Anybody say amen to that? God's work always demands patience. If you don't have patience, you're not going to do real well with God. Because I can tell you the great I am is not hurried along. He's just not. And his time is not your time and my time. It's his time. And we're all on his time. It may seem like a long time for you, but it's not a long time for him. And, And that patience has got to be there. Uh, and, and see, he's still going to work though. He's still working. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, I mean, you, do you understand that, that, that we have that womb that is panicking right now and is handing her, her, her handmaiden over to her husband to produce a child for her, that same womb that has all this doubt and is working her own plan, that same womb will be the womb that we will get Joseph from, who, by the way, is a type of Christ. We're, we're going to watch him live out his life. He's going to be the answer to, to the children of God on saving them from starvation. See, God's still working even though we think we got a better plan. And, uh, but, and you say, well, Rick, he, she still gets Joseph. She sure does, but she gets all this other mess too. God's like, well, this is the plan. I'm going to work. And I'm so well, look at all this over here. Well, you did that. I didn't tell you to do that. I'll work through that too. And I knew what decision you were going to make. So anyway, uh, so so this is where an opportunity for Jacob to stand up, but he does not. Uh, so she, look at four, she gave him her servant uh, as a wife, and that means that there's nothing sinful in their eyes about what's about to take place. And Jacob went into her, and Bila conceived and bore Jacob a son, uh, and then, and then look at, at six here, cause you need to look at what she says next. She says, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she, uh, she, uh, called him Dan. Okay. Because this, this means that God has, has heard me. Um, and, uh, God, God has, has vindicated me. That's what she means by judge. He's judged and, and vindicated me. Now keep in mind, don't miss this. And this is important. And I spent some time on this this week because I want to be sure to get this right. 
Many times we can celebrate something that God didn't really do. Be careful. Sometimes you start claiming God did something that he didn't do. So so if God says that 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 I'm going to produce Joseph in Rachel's womb, is this move here for a, a maid servant to have a baby was out should God be given thanks for that? But he allowed it because I mean ain't don't nobody nobody's born without him. But but what she's saying is this is what God has done. He's vindicated me. Now if you want to say that God showed some mercy and gave her a son, but but we're not going to work through Dan to Messiah. We're going to work through Joseph. Through Rachel. Okay? Even though she's trying to make something happen the way she wants it to happen, God is still going to ultimately work out his plan. So be careful. Rachel's servant Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. This is in verse 7. Now in verse 8, Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called, um, and, th- and this one's a, a tough one to say, uh, but, but, but I've worked on it this week th- to try to say it correctly, and, and it has not been easy. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I, this one, uh, I'm trying to find the, where I put down the, the correct way to say it. Does anybody want to take a shot at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, the bet, this is how you say it. It's naphtali or naphtala. Either one of those works, but here's what it means. I have wrestled with God. Now, when she says that, that she has wrestled with God, she's correct. But, but what's going to happen here actually is we are creating a very confused family. A very confused family is taking place here. So um, now what we're going to enter in, and I just started it in seven, don't miss what Rachel said. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with who? My sister. So it's, what, is this a competition now? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. She's not even saying what a great victory for God, what a great victory for our family, what a great victory for my husband. She's saying, take that. Now, now I got babies. I'm going to tell you what, you start getting around women when it comes to babies. They all want babies. And, uh, and, and in this case, they'll find any way to get it done. But that's why her husband has to give some sort of guidance here. Do y'all see any guidance from Jacob at all? Any? You know what he's doing? Whoever you want me to sleep with, just bring them in. And you're going to see that happen throughout this whole chapter. This son of a gun I'm talking about, you talk about a stallion. I mean, he, he, he is about to go on a tear. Okay? And, I mean, and, and, and so, so then, uh, so Jacob now has, is sitting here with this going on. Now look at nine. Here comes Leah back. Here comes what I call the baby playoff. Now, here we go. So when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, now keep in mind, she's already cranked out some sons. It's not like she hasn't. So when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad, uh, which means what she says. And then look at look at 12. Leah's servant Zil- Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. So now we're just cranking off babies uh, left and right, and uh, there's children that are just coming at, at, a, at a rapid pace. 
Now, here's where it it's going to really take a turn and when we get to verse 14. In verse 14, it, re, it really takes a, a turn. Anybody remember Reuben? So remember, Reuben was son number one with Leah, but he's still young. In the days of, of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Now, this is probably just a relatively young boy. He's out there on the harvest. And you remember this? How many of you that that, that have, have have children? Do you remember every now and then the little children run and give mama some flowers? You know, I was out here. Remember, they go pick some. It's really weeds. But they, they go out and pick. If it has a flower on it, they'll bring it in and give it to their mama. Look at this. And you remember your mama just, oh, my goodness, these are the most beautiful flower I've ever seen in the whole wide world. Well, that's kind of what's taking place here. Leah's son, Reuben, comes in and says, Mama, I found you some mandrakes. Probably found them when he's out there getting the hay. He brings them into his mama. Now, so you don't, so this doesn't get weird to you. In, in this culture, and we have people talk about these kind of things all the time, the mandrake was considered an aphrodisiac. And, and, and they, they can, there's really no way to back this up scientifically. But in that culture, they thought it was a stimulant for fertility. And if women couldn't conceive, they started eating mandrakes thinking it was going to help them be more fertile. So Rachel asked for some of Leah's mandrakes. Watch this next. So um, uh, remember, at this point, Rachel has not conceived a child on her own yet. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Uh, but she said to her, is it uh, a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would, would you uh, take away my son's mandrakes also? As you see, this whole thing that we're sharing a husband, it's not really – nobody's really settled into this yet. Now, a lot of commentary thinks, and I think it's accurate, because Scripture tells us, Moses tells us that that Leah had stopped conceiving. So it's likely that since she, according to Jacob, thought she was done having babies, that he's kind of spending more time in Rachel's bed than he is Leah's bed, because Leah was not the most attractive one, and it's not the one he'd rather sleep with. And he's made that really clear, unfortunately. So since she's not producing any babies, he's probably spending most of the nights in Rachel's bed. And Leah knows that, and that's why she's saying what she's saying. Is it not enough that the, my, my husband, our husband, whatever, has left? You've stole my husband. He's over in your bed now. Doesn't come see me anymore. And then you'll confirm that that's likely it by what she does next. And I don't think we'll have any doubt that's the problem by what she does next. So here's what happens next. Um. Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Rachel's got one thing on her mind. She wants to conceive a baby, and she doesn't even care if if Jacob goes over and sleeps with with her sister. So she cuts the mandrake deal. Now, the fact that the mandrake deal was cut, I think, does confirm the thought that Jacob hadn't been spending much time in Leah's bed anymore. Okay, because she's not having sons anymore, not having any children. So here's what happens. When Jacob came, now, now I want you to picture this moment in your mind, okay? When Jacob, verse 16, comes from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I mean, this poor man has been out working in the fields, and he shows up, and one of the wives says, I've cut a deal. You're sleeping with me tonight. There's nowhere in Scripture where Jacob says, Look, we got to talk about this. I, I need to get all y'all together, and and we we got to work this out. Our family is out of control. Okay, we 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 got to we, we got to sit down. You know what it says? So he went and he slept with her. 
I mean, they're now taking Jacob and they're passing him around. I mean, like like he's some sort of stud. I mean, and uh, and so he goes and and he lays with Leah. And here's something very interesting, verse seventeen, very very interesting. And God listened to Leah. But now there, there's a lot going on here that that you would think. We serve an incredibly gracious God. Now, that's not all he is, but he certainly is. So it's no doubt that Leah has gotten desperate. It's no doubt that Rachel's gotten desperate. And here's God with all this going on. You know what he says? I hear Leah, and I'm going to let her have some more babies. I'm going to open her womb back up. And you would think, in this situation? But... So don't you ever think that, that God's forgotten you or there's things that you've done that are so bad that he can never hear you again or that he doesn't hear your pain and your suffering and your struggles? He certainly does. 17, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I, have, uh, I gave my servant to my husband, so she called his name Ishkar. Now, this is a little bit problematic here. Leah does miss it because Leah thinks the reason why God has heard her because she did the right thing and brought her servant over there, and she's taking credit, saying that's what, that's what got me back in good with God again is that I brought my servant over to Jacob. What she needs to realize right here is, no, God just understands the despair you're going through, and I think God cares that you've ended up because of your de- deceiving brother uh, you know, you, you've ended up in a situation here where you've been put into marriage where your husband didn't really want you, uh, and your sister's a lot more beautiful than you, and, you, and your husband actually loves your sister more than he loves you. He feels kind of like he's kind of stuck with you. You've done nothing but bear sons for him, and he still doesn't love you, and I care about that. And I heard you, and I'm going to give you another son. But she thinks, oh, well, I guess that thing I did with the maidservant was right. See, once again, here's God doing something. He's not even getting any thanks for it. She thinks she's worked some system that got a blessing when really she just needs to be thanking God for being gracious. You ever been there? When's the last time that you just stopped of all the things that we've done that God should have abandoned us a long time ago and you just stopped and say, thank you for not abandoning me? I know I'm a mess. I know you can't believe the mistakes I keep making and the things you've taught me over and over again, and I keep doing them. And I just want to thank you for not giving up on me. Can I just challenge you guys in the room and challenge all of you that are watching and listening? Will you make a commitment today, like maybe when we're done today, when you get a moment to yourself? Don't ask God for anything. Just tell him thank you. Just tell him thank you. Because what's happening here is 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 more grace from God and him working out his plan. I had a guy tell me, I guess that's why. So it found its way here. Thank you, Lord. I was talking with a guy that I'm working with. He he's he's seeking, he's looking, he he wants to know Jesus. Right now he wants Jesus to be on his terms not him submitting, and that's fine. We're we all going to get there. And I'm talking to him, and he starts talking to me about the things that I've done in my life that are horrible. And he said, 
Well, don't you think that God worked all that so you have a story to tell other people and it helps other people? I said, no. No, my testimony should have been that as soon as I was able to reason and understand who God was, I, I repented of my of my sin, I submitted to his authority, and I have been living out my life under his authority, honoring him, I, I, not, not living in a way to earn my salvation because I can't, but I'm not doing these things for salvation, but I should have lived out my life honoring Christ, doing it for Christ. I said what God is doing in my life, he's doing in spite of the things I've done, not because of the things I've done, in spite of them. And that's the difference. Don't ever get that what these people are doing is okay, but he's working through them in spite of it. So um, so 19, and Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a, with a, with a good endowment, now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons, and she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her Dinah. Now, we think the daughter here comes after Joseph, by the way, but Moses is just documenting that Jacob also had a daughter with Leah too, but we think that was after Joseph, or most people in commentate the theologians think that. So now here comes the big moment in 22, okay? So we rode through all these sons, and, and and then he eventually will have a daughter too, Dinah. And and the thing is, when you talk about what all these different names mean, uh, Scripture doesn't say ever what the daughters' names mean, only the sons. Uh, but uh, but all these things have been, been going on because Leah got her fertility back. Um, this means the intimacy was probably divided more evenly between Leah and Rachel now. More children were being born. Um, you know, the last one she said, Zebulun, is, that name means honor meaning my husband will honor me. And she's doing this almost as a pun because she realizes at this point, likely, no matter how many sons I crank out for this guy, he's not going to love me. He's not going to honor me. And she almost names that son that mocking it, saying, maybe now you'll honor me. I've given you six sons, maybe now which is a sad state uh, that she's found herself in, or that really her brother put her in, if you want to get back to the original. Uh, but anyway, she did have the, the daughter as well. So that's God's perfect number, remember. Leah actually produces seven children, and God does honor her, uh, even though Jacob continued to love Rachel, because you will see God work through Leah's children. But even though Jacob continued to uh, to love Rachel. So here comes kind of the climax of all these children in verse 22. Then God remembered, and I want you to underline that. He doesn't forget. God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So when you, when you, when you look at these, these two statements that Rachel makes, God has removed my disgrace, and then she quickly utters, and I want another son too. Joseph means, may he add to me. So you, you see that um, 
number one, I went, I kind of struggled a little bit with this, saying that she it, it, can she not just thank God for just a little bit longer before she's asking for the next son? But I've been there. Lord, thank you for doing this for me. What are you going to do for me next? How about two sons? When really all along she's saying, I, j- I just like to have my womb open up. I'd like to conceive my own son. I'd like to have my own biological son. And God does it, and she celebrates. She says, my disgrace has been removed. Now may I have another. And the Lord will give her another son, which will kill her. I'd make a note of that. So um, I'm looking at our time. I think we're okay. So this next, because this next thing, we get into Jacob now saying, look, I got, I got children everywhere, okay? I've worked for you, Laban. I've done my thing, and I'm ready to go. It's time for me to get my family. These are my wives. These are my children, and we, we're ready to pack it up, and we're headed back to Canaan. Now, this is God's providence. This is going to happen, right? We know he's going to bring them back. So I've entitled this part, and I think we have time to get to it, uh, the deceiver deceives and then get, gets deceived again. So Laban's going to, hey, let me tell you, Laban, you think Laban's going to let you go? You, you better have a plan, which Jacob, you know, he's a deceiver too. He's pretty savvy, and he works it out. So as soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know, underline that, the service that I have given you. All right, so you know what Jacob's saying? Now, look, we know. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do, and I'm ready to go. Have you ever gotten that point in your life where you've been dealing with somebody and you say, hey, I'm done? You ever been there? I'm done. Okay, I've, I've played this game with you as long as I'm going to play it, and I, I'm, I'm taking my, my wives and my children and my, and, and, and my stuff, and I'm leaving. And you know that I've done well. And then, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned. Now, this is not, you, you, this is not how you want to learn. If you want to know that Jacob, I mean, uh, that Laban is a man that cannot be trusted, he's gone to a fortune teller, uh, and, uh, and he's, he's tried to figure out uh, about all these blessings that he's, that he's had. And, he's, and so by, by divination, which is a fortune teller like the occult, he said, Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Now, keep in mind, all throughout Scripture, hear me, hear me, hear me, all throughout Scripture, divination is condemned. You don't go talking to fortune tellers, and you don't dabble in this garbage. You don't have your tarot cards read. You don't, don't, I don't care if you're on some vacation and you think this is all fun and games. It ain't fun and games. You stay away from this stuff. God condemns it and condemns it and condemns it. And if any of these people tell you something, it didn't come from God. Okay? And here's the thing you got to know is that the occult and the adversary and the demons, there's things they know. Now, they're not God, they're not omnipotent, they're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent, but there's things they know, especially about God. Remember, when the disciples are following Jesus, guess who keeps getting Jesus right? Demons, even when they didn't. 
So you don't mess with this stuff. This stuff is bad, bad. Don't have anything to do with it. So the fact that he's doing this, trying to figure out why he's being blessed, kind of shows you the character of Laban. He said, the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll give it. There's that move again. Tell me how much you think I should give you to get you to stay. Hey, I, there's, Yahweh's blessing me because you're here, and I don't want that blessing to leave with you. Let's cut a deal. What, what's, your, what's your wages for, to stay? And, uh, and Jacob said to him, the point, you know yourself how I have served you and how your livestock has, has, has fared with me. For you had a little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now shall I provide for my own household also? It's time for me to take care of my own family. I've been taking care of you. It's time for me to use these same gifts, these same blessings for my own family. Have you ever worked for a company before that it seems to be one-sided? They benefit from you, but you don't feel like they ever give you what you deserve or what you've earned is a better way to put it. And remember, when you're negotiating, y'all, if you don't have leverage, you got problems. Jacob's got leverage. Because Laban knows, since you've been here, things have gone really good. And that's why he doesn't want him to go. So anyway, but, but Jacob's saying, look, i I, I got to take care of my own people now. 31. And he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you would do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and I'll keep it. Here's what I want you to do. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, every black lamb, and the, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and that'll be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and, and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So he's saying, here's how we're going to work this deal. So you know that I'm not taking anything other than what we agree with. I'm going to just take the ones that have some sort of spot, some sort of you know, – they're, they're not pure in their color. I'll take that from the, from the, from the lambs. Uh, I mean, from the sheep and also from from the goat. So uh, th- this is that uh, variegated is what this is. You know, they're, they're they're spotted, they're striped. It usually means the way they did these flocks. What what Jacob is really saying is, I'm gonna take the minority of the flock because most of them are not this way. So he's really not even asking for much. He's saying that'll be my payment, so we can move on. Well, guess who moves into de- deception real quick? Laban, he, he's not going to wait very long to start cutting that deal. So Laban said, good, let it be as you said. And look what he does in 35. The minute Laban says, so that's our deal, what does he do? He goes and removes all the ones that have spots. And he gives them to his sons, and he says, y'all take these a long way from here so he'll never find them. So what he's really going to do is, is Jacob's going to cut this deal and then walk out there and there not be any. And then Laban's wanting to come in and say, well, we tried. I guess I just don't have any. So, uh, so listen to what he does. So, so he goes and he says, um, uh, but the, that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that had black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Jacob doesn't know they're gone. They're so far away, no way he can get to them. Then Jacob, though, here's what happened. Watch out. 
try. Hey, what does our governor say? You can't, you can't outstep a high stepper. Uh, so you can't, you can't out deceive a deceiver. Uh, so Jacob, I guess, kind of knowing the character of Laban, he he gives himself a little bit of security here. Now this is kind of odd what happens, and it took a lot of research to try to get down to this. Even looking at people who deal with livestock, some of y'all may deal with livestock. Uh, Jacob took fresh sticks of popular and almond and and plane trees, peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks uh, in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. What he's doing, he's taking the genetics and he's saying, I'll produce these spotted and speckleds and, and these trees that he's putting over there for them to eat. Um, and it seemed to be some validity even years later as we begin to study this, people who had studied Scripture, there seemed to be some sort of nutrients that were in these trees that he was peeling that caused these uh, these goats and sheep to produce these speckled uh, uh, kids and lambs that the nutrients would actually take the fur color uh, of, of, uh, of the babies and they would turn them speckled and they would turn them striped. And he knew this and had found this out. So he says, look, I'll produce my own speckled and striped and there ain't nothing Laban can do about that because I'll be here and I'll be the one making it happen. He literally is producing his own flock right under Laban's nose. Laban thinks he doesn't have any out there, uh, but, um, but Jacob is, is making them himself. It's really, if you think about it, what we start learning about prenatal nutrients that you give to human the women, you know, the prenatal vitamins help. This is like a natural uh, availability of nutrients and prenatal stuff he's given these female uh, sheep and uh, the ewes and also given the goats. And so he's figured this out. Now look what else he did because he's going to double down this. And, uh, and Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, and he did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So what he's saying is, I'm going to make sure the ones that I get are the strongest of the whole flock. And if it's the weaker, I'm going to be sure those go back to Laban. So the deceiver is now deceiving the deceiver. Uh, he's got his own plan. Uh, and, uh, and so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. So can you believe that? I mean, he puts together this, this whole deal. I didn't know about this because some people say what, what Jacob was doing in that culture was, was an old wives' tale. Uh, and and it could and there's there's two ways you can look at this. You can say he really did find out a way that these nutrients would produce this this speckled and spotted that he needed. That could be it. It could have just been provided by God in these nutrients, or it could be God was going to do it for him anyway. And, it, and all this he was doing was really just something that made him feel like he had a part in it. But really, God wasn't going to let Jacob leave there without a, a strong flock, and God just did it. You know, like, because you're not going to, I tell you, you might deceive human beings, but you're not going to beat God. I mean, Laban could take those striped and speckled uh, sheep and goats, and he could take them to the end of the earth. And if God wanted Jacob to leave with a strong flock of goats and lambs, he's going to have them. 
So it could just be supernatural from God. The bottom line is Laban tried to take them all out of the flock, and God uh, and Jacob put them back in there. You're not going to keep God from doing what he's going to do. As we would hear in, in the New Covenant later, Paul says, if God is with us, who can be against us? You, you can try all day long to take the people of God and, 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 and cut your own deal and treat us poorly, and at the end of it all, we win because we're with God. Now, if you're not with God, you're not going to win. If you're against God, you're not going to win. But if we're with God, now we may struggle. You've seen Jacob struggle. We may have issues. Uh, but at the end, he wins. So you see what happens, 43. Thus the man, talking about Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. You know how we're, we're poor little Laban with all of his little stuff and, and, and all the little plans he tried to, to work? See, the part that he missed out on, he missed out on the fact that God himself sent Jacob to Haran, and then said, at my time, I'm bringing him back to Canaan. And if God says he's going to do something, you can try your best to stand in the way of it, but you'd be wasting your time. Jacob was going back to Canaan no matter what Laban did because that's what God said was going to happen. And so when we, when we come back, you'll see that Jacob um, is going to have to pick up the pace a little bit because, uh, you know, we, I think I think what we need to learn on this too, and, and even though um, Jacob went to where he was told to go, but we're going to have to understand that throughout our lives, we're going to encounter people who are not good for us, the deceivers, the mockers, the scoffers. And you find throughout Scripture – over and over again, God's caution to all of us, be careful who you associate with. And though and though you have uh, God going to deliver Jacob and, and take him out of this situation, a lot of the things that Jacob got himself involved in is because he didn't keep his eye on Laban. And and you got to learn to discern. And, and, I, and I will tell you this, my wife has... has that's been so helpful in my life with this. And I've made mistakes on it many times, but I'm learning as I go and as I'm aging. But my wife told me, just as Scripture does, and I've, I think I've shared this with you all, but I'll share it again. One of the markers you got to look for with the wrong people being in your life, if you're ever looking to partner uh, with someone or, or you're, you're looking to take someone from an acquaintance to a friend, if that person lacks humility, always be leery of them. And, um, and, and also be careful of those who come at you with unreasonable flattery. You know, that person that's just always telling you how great you are. I'd be real leery of those people. I've, I've, uh, we've learned over the years, Sherry and I, if somebody comes and says, Oh, I just, I just, I, I just feel like that, um, and a lot of times they'll act like it's spiritual too. You know, there's just a special anointing on on y'all's ministry, and 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 we just we I just tell you and this and and that, and you know what Sherry and I'll say as soon as they leave, 
Get ready for the ask. It's coming. They want something. And I can tell you that every time I got an ask like that, and I decided that I didn't feel like God was leading me in that direction, but I wished them well, I never saw them again. So it was all about the ask. Watch that flattery and watch the lack of humility uh, because um, it's, um, it's, it's like my dad told me, just getting in the entertainment business one time, he said, people are going to tell you that you're great and wonderful and people are going to tell you that you're absolutely terrible. They're both wrong. You're somewhere in between. So, uh, so, you know, just, uh, you know, you ain't that great and you ain't that bad. So, uh, so, uh, and I have, I found that to probably be true. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I I pray Lord that we learn and we listen today. Lord, we, we listen about being passive as men. We certainly want to be humble and, uh, but, but we're, we're not called to be passive. And, Lord, it is amazing us being on the other side of, of the church age. I, I see so many men prior to Pentecost and the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, and, and, and so many of them are passive. But once they receive the Holy Spirit, you just don't see that attitude anymore. And all of us who claim to be under the, the, the new covenant and we claim to be redeemed by you, you tell us that you've given us the Holy Spirit. So that certainly shouldn't give us a spirit of passivity. And I pray, Lord, you help us to be bold, but help us to be kind and gentle. And, uh, and Lord, even dealing with our wives or our wives that you'll be giving some of these men that aren't married in the future, that maybe they can learn before they get a wife. And those of us that have a wife, we make adjustments and realize that going along just to get along isn't always loving our wives. Sometimes we do need to protect them even from themselves. But always under your authority and always able to back it up with Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll teach us, Lord, to, to make Scripture priorities so that uh, if we intend to back it up with Scripture, common sense would, would tell us we need to know Scripture. Uh, I'm so thankful for these men that have been in this room and, and other rooms studying the Word of God together for years. I, Lord, I just I hope they know how much that means to me. And I know, Lord, that you have continued to refine us into the men that only you can. Maybe right now, Lord, we just make adjustments. And since I'm going to tell them what I just did, inspired by you, I, 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 let me be an example. Lord, right now, I just want to say thank you. I don't ask you for anything. I just, I just want to say thank you. Lord, I want you to, you know my heart. I'm so grateful for the grace and mercy that you've shown me. I'm so thankful for how kind you've been to me uh, when, when I was not worthy of your kindness. I'm so thankful for the times you've listened to me when it must have been dis- difficult to listen. Thank you, Lord, for the guidance that you've given me. Even though so many times before you've given it and I've ignored it, you still are willing to give it again. And for that, I am forever grateful. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks, guys.